Today, it's my privilege to introduce our speaker, somebody I've known for a long time and I consider a friend of mine, Dwayne Polk. Howdy. All right. What's up, family? All right. <laughs> you know, we all brothers and sisters here. We just down home. For some of y'all that don't know me, I am Dwayne Polk, but again, I am your brother in Christ. So um, thank y'all for the worship. Worship team, wherever y'all at, thank you so much for that. Give glory to God. There's nothing like worship like that can make you feel like you want to preach. So let's just get into this. We're going to pray and then get into the message. Let's pray. Father, we know that your presence is here by your spirit as we glorify your son. And right now, we just ask that you would just fill us all with your spirit. Unstop our ears, un unclog our eyes so that we can see and hear what you want us to see and hear. We pray that you would continue the worship. We've been worshiping and singing, and now it's time for the word. We pray that you would just decrease me, decrease everything merely human in here, and that you would take us to your heights, that you would speak to us for the sake of transformation, that you would transform us to the people that you want us to be, to conform us to the image of your dear son. We pray that as a result of this message that we'd see things differently, that we would act differently, and that as a result of all of these things that we would not be the same as when we just got here. We thank you for this opportunity and we love you. And everybody said, amen. All right. So the title of this message is going to be called Shaken, Not Stirred. Say, yeah, shaken, not stirred. And just to let you know, there's not going to be anything about James Bond or martinis or gold-wearing supervillains or nothing like that. I'm just borrowing the term right now. <laughs> now, we've been going through the book of Luke here. And right now, we're up to Luke 22, verses 31 through 37. So for me, this is a time of real serendipity. Y'all say it with me. Serendipity. That's the nerd word for the day, all right? <laughs> and what that means is, it's when you are looking for something and you actually find something else that turns out to be helpful that's totally different than what you were looking for. It's like this. I have ADHD, right? And so there's a lot of times that I lose my car keys. I know Greg understands that well. So, um, <laughs> and you'll be, I'll, I'll look for my keys and then I'll find my wallet. And I'm like... I've been looking for this too. <laughs> and so what serendipity is, is kind of like that. You're really intensely looking for one thing, but you find out something that's just as good, if not even better. And so this is what I feel like has happened with this passage. When I, when I started out to make this message, it was really just kind of follow along the order of the scriptures that we've been going in. But it seems like the Lord has just really woven things together because it's really, at least for me personally, it really comes together for the time and the season that we're in. Some of, you, some of you may know that we're in the time of Lent, and Lent is like the seven weeks coming up to Easter Sunday or what some people call Resurrection Sunday. Now, some of us here might be from different backgrounds, like a Catholic background or an Orthodox background, a Lutheran background, where there's a lot of intention, there's a lot of things that are involved in this process called Lent. And other people might be from different backgrounds where maybe not that much stuff was done for it. But I think that everybody in this room, or probably a lot of people, have may have heard the term giving up something for Lent. Has anybody ever heard that? Oh, it seems like a lot of people. Okay. So 
What's interesting about this time is this time is a time of prayer, it's a time of repentance, and it's a time of fasting when you decide to abstain or give up some things in order to get closer to God. Now, again, during this time, not everybody chooses to do those things, but this is a time to take to reflect and, and, and just genuinely think about your relationship with God. Now, in some church settings, this can be a real communal activity. I know in the Eastern Orthodox Church, during this time, they give up meat and eggs. So I don't know what I can do with that because I love my omelets. But, um. <laughs> but anyway, other people, this can be very intensely personal. I read on an, an e-magazine um, by Jim Wallace. Jim Wallace is the CEO and founder of um, Sojourners. It's kind of a Christian social action group. And so he talked about how even though this is Lent time and it's just a part of the church calendar, he really saw a new sense of urgency. He felt it felt more urgent to him just given all of the crazy things that are going on in our country, the crazy things that are going on with our people. And so he decided that he wanted to do this to get some clarity, to get some answers for what his personal fit is in the kingdom of God. Now, to be honest with you, I feel like the Lord has spoken to me and I've decided to participate in this Lenten season with certain fasts and different things like that. There's lots of different reasons I have for that. One of the reasons is I could stand to lose some weight, honestly. I'm starting to get a little bread basket around here. The thing's called an inner tube. Sometimes the wife likes to call them love handles. I don't love them. Um, <laughs> but anyway... I don't want us to get it twisted. Lenten season is not just about fasting and putting down the bonbons and the famous day's barbecue, even though it can include that. We have to be willing to fast or separate ourselves from other things that we indulge in. For example, some people might really be indulgent in soda or different sweets and stuff like that. Other people might be indulgent in fits of anger where you're addicted to getting angry to things. Other people, they might be addicted to, I don't know, different things like cigarettes or, or different, you know, movies or watch too much TV or whatever. But some people, they might have a struggle with unforgiveness, where they've lived a life where it's just almost second nature for them to withhold forgiveness from people. And so those are the kind of things that this time leading up to Easter should lead us to think about. This is actually a statement from the um, Orthodox Church of America. This is what they say during the first week. They say, let us fast with a fast pleasing to the Lord. This is the true fast, the casting off of evil, the bridling of the tongue, means watch what you say, the cutting off of anger, the cessation, the stopping of lusts, evil talking, lies, and cursing. The stopping of these is the fast true and acceptable. Now, I know when I read this, I'm like, well, what in the world are we going to do on the weekend? I mean, if you just look at all this stuff, it isn't like half of American entertainment, this stuff. So I'm like, oh, man. But now, if you look at this, of course, this is a lot harder for many of us than just weaning ourselves off a of Taco Bell or watching too much TV. It'll be much more self-revealing. It'll be more, more self-analysis going on and maybe showing us a lot more about ourselves than we'd like to believe about ourselves. This is also going to be a time of obstacles. There's also going to be a lot of times of temptations. And those will be physical and non-physical. I have to say that again. They will be physical and non-physical. And that's going to get us into our text. So Luke 22, verse 31. Jesus is speaking. 
Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Talking to the disciples. Nothing, they answered. We didn't lack anything. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressions. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with the second half, this, second half of this stuff, and then we're going to work backwards because I think this second half will give us context for the main thing we're trying to emphasize in the first. Starting at verse 35, Jesus is referring to some of the events in Luke 9 and 10. In Luke 9 and 10, he sends out the disciples first, and he also later sends out the 72 followers. And whenever he sends them out, they are to preach the word of the gospel and they are to talk about the kingdom of God and all these different things. And what they are to do is they are to relate gracefully and gratefully on the hospitality of people in the town. For example, whenever one of these people would go into a city, they were supposed to go to a house. And if this house received them, then they were supposed to stay in the house receiving any food, any clothing, any resources that that house got until they needed to leave the town. Okay. So not really mooching is just a sense of, you know, just receiving their hospitality with gratefulness. Now, a lot of times we don't do this. Most of the time, like if we're, going, if we're going out on a trip, we're sending people, we want to say, hey, do you have your compass? Do you have your map? Are you full of gas? Do you have the food? Like making sure that you have everything you need by yourself. But it seemed like Jesus seemed to know something about the situation, like there was going to be some ground support. That he knew that the father would take care of them and show them different things through the people's hospitality. Not really a bad deal at all. But once we come to the events of Luke 22, it seems like things are going to be very, very different. See, before it used to be a time where disciples would go in town and people would just be like, oh, the disciples in here, get, get the sugar ready, baby. We're going to have some company. And everybody would just kind of like them and all that stuff like that, relatively speaking. But at this point, there's going to be increased hostility, increased distancing, like, oh, those Christians, hey, I don't want them anywhere near my house. Well, I don't want to deal with them right now. And so he was trying to tell them, look, and using very strong language, very strong metaphorical language, look, this is a time where you're going to have to be much more vigilant. You're going to have to be much more self-reliant. Because you will have opposition, you will have struggles, you will have trials that you did not face before. Because the time of fulfillment is almost here. He was talk, Jesus was talking about going to the cross. And he says, because this is happening, you're going to feel much more pressure than you did before. And the reason why is because someone, and I want to articulate that very well, someone at that time really wanted to work against the will of God and wanted to work against the personal faith of the disciples. So now we got to talk about, well, who is this someone? What was really going on with the disciples? And what in the world does that do with us and this time and season before Easter? So we got to go back to the first part to figure that out. Going back, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. 
But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. This will probably give us a hint what we're looking at. I'm praying for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, like saying, you know, you might mess up here, but when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. I'm bout it, bout it. I'm, I'm ride or die. Lord, if they're going to take you, they're going to take me. If they're going to kill you, they're going to kill me. You know, sometimes it's interesting how people can really think that they're hardcore and not realizing their own weaknesses, but Jesus kind of sees past all that. He says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. You say, you finna ride, think you finna ride or die, you're going to deny me three times. And all this goes back to Satan sift, seeking to sift. So we just got to be upfront about this, people. I know this might sound weird to some people, but according to Jesus, if we look at the Bible, if we look at what Jesus believes about the world, we have to say that disembodied, meaning non-material evil beings actually exist, and these are fallen angels called demons. And the head of these demons is called Satan, the accuser. And if you are a human being on this planet, if you are created in the image of God under the sound of my voice, and I think that means all of us, you have to understand that you have unseen enemies that want nothing more than to kill, steal, and destroy from you. They, do, they want nothing more than to pull you away from God's will, pull you away from God's love, and pull you away from his presence. Now, I know in our modern age of Google and Facebook and I phones and all that kind of stuff like that. It almost seems kind of old school to try to believe in these disembodied beings. I mean, aren't human beings bad enough already? Why do we need some kind of Satan figure? I mean, it's, some, for some people it does. It sounds like kind of the boogeyman or Candyman or Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. <laughs> yes, I'm that old. <laughs> it's like some urban legend, rather. But according to Scripture, if we want to really look at things, we have to admit that Satan is very, very real and very, very dangerous. First of all, and I think this is most important, this is the person that tempted Jesus in the wilderness. See, whenever Jesus, before he did his annunciation in the temple and all that stuff, it says that after he was baptized, the Spirit of the Lord led him into the wilderness to be tempted. By who? By Satan. And this is the thing, Jesus came into this world to destroy Satan's works. That's exactly what 1 John 3, 8 says. Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. Jesus talks about Satan in Matthew 13 using two different parables about the sower and the seed and, and the stealer of the seed, basically saying that Satan is here to plant dissension and plant all of these unhelpful things and disrupt his people and disrupt God's plans. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says that he is the God of this age. This is very strong language. He's not any little peon. He has a lot of power. He has a lot of sway here. In 1 John 5, it says, and I think this is just flat out, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You don't get more than that. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And let's not forget Jesus who wanted to teach his disciples how to pray. And he gave us the Lord's Prayer. And if you look at the last two stanzas of that prayer, it says something like, and I want to make sure I get this right, and um, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And that evil one that Jesus is talking about is Satan. 
So just want to give us a reason. I mean, even though we might not think about it very much because we have our own physical problems, there is a non-physical being that is our enemy and will definitely be our enemy anytime that we seek to move more towards God. So what does he want? Well, in, this, in the passage, it says that he wants to sift the disciples like wheat. Sifting like wheat. Now, what does that mean? Now, see, I don't know about you, but I come from, you know, more of the city. So the closest I ever get to wheat is like wheat bread and flour. Like that's, that's what I know. I don't, you know, do the agricultural thing too well. But I feel like I have a picture that can kind of show maybe what this could have been like. So this is a picture of somebody... This is from a magazine that this is a picture of somebody and they are sifting wheat. And so basically what they do is they put the wheat in there and they shake it around and they separate the usable stuff from the non-usable stuff. Now, this is no easy process. It's not like you just go in there and just kind of just like, oh, yeah, like hula hoop. No, it's like you have to shake and you have to sift and you have to do it really hard. And I've heard back in this time period, sometimes they had two people doing the same thing as far as sifting and getting all the separation. And that kind of intense shaking, that kind of intense disruption is exactly what we're talking about Satan trying to do to the disciples. It deals with faith, whether or not it holds within people. And see, this is what Satan was doing to the disciples. See, he will do everything he can to shake up our lives, to shake up our situations, to shake up our vision, to stir up all of these different emotions of doubt and fear and anxiety and exasperation with God. And it, what it'll do is it'll make it hard, if not impossible, for us to see what God is doing in our lives and what's God doing around us. Satan is going to throw everything but the kitchen sink. No, he'll throw that too. But he'll, he'll throw anything at us to try to disrupt us from God's plan and God's will for my life. It can either be pleasurable or painful. Sometimes it might be that new promotion that throws you off. Sometimes it might be losing your house that throws you off. Whatever he can do to shake you out of your peace and your relationship with the, with the grace of God, he wants to do that. And we can even see how this worked with Peter himself. I mean, Peter the fall guy, you know? I mean, Simon Peter, now, he is the guy that actually announced who Jesus was. I mean, Jesus said, you know, who do man see that I am? He's like, look, look, you are the Christ. You are the son of God. And it's like epiphany time, like, yes! You know, flesh and blood haven't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. So you would think like, oh, this is like the mountaintop scene, right? Then right after that, Peter gets rebuked by Jesus, and Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, how many people want to be called that? That is not a good look. <laughs> he said, look, you are thinking of the ways of men and not the ways of God. But even after that incident and the other incidents he had, at this point in Luke 22, he feels so rock solid for Jesus. He's like the ride or die person that he feels that he's going to be able to stand up to all of the life-threatening issues. He seems totally unaware of his propensity, his tendency for falling. And please notice something. Now, Satan didn't really attack Peter even then or in this time. Satan didn't attack Peter with some demoniac kind of manifestation, somebody like head spinning around, greepy soup coming out the mouth, floating up and doing all that. No, no, no. More than anything, I believe that the sifting that happened with the disciples 
was more touching off the mental strongholds that were already in their mind. Strongholds of anxiety about Jesus and his mission. Strongholds about what this whole kingdom of God thing was going to be about. And I get this image of like Satan just playing like xylophone keys. Like... And every time that he would do that, then all of these different behaviors and actions would come out. And we have to admit the reality of these strongholds. Scripture speaks about this very clearly. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Strongholds are these things that are like bunkers, like, you know, Ah, but this divine power that we have are to destroy those. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion, everything, every type of thought raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Now, basically what this means is we have these things, these thought processes in our minds, and it doesn't necessarily take a lot to set those things off. And so what I believe is that for the disciples, the devil tripped these off. That's why they kept being dull whenever Jesus would say, look, I have to die as part of my calling by God to die on the cross. And they're like, huh? No, you can't do that. You're the Messiah. We have these different ideas about that. And then he tripped off these things in other people's minds, whereas before people were open to the disciples and was being willing to house them. Now it's like, hey, I don't want nothing to do with those people. Hey, actually, if they come, call the Roman police because we don't want them here. So all the hostile reception. So I want you to understand that there is an interrelationship between Satan's working, his evil working, and the faithful, the struggle, the struggle of the faith of the disciples and the hostility and the danger of the environment. So you cannot separate what was going on in their environment from what Satan was doing to stop the work of God. But in the midst of this, Jesus said, and I think this was a very key point of hope for Peter that maybe he missed. He said, I've prayed for you. Now, this is God himself. This is the incarnate word saying, I have prayed to the Father for you that your faith wouldn't fail. And even though you mess up, when you've turned back, he didn't say if you turn back, when you've turned back, you can restore your fellow believers. Now, out of all of this, what does this have to do with us? We see how what sifting means and what it meant as far as the disciples, but what does it mean to us? This is what I believe. In this time of Lent, in this time of reflection, whether or not we individually participate in different fasts or not, I believe that just as Satan sought to frustrate God's plans by sifting the faith of the disciples and trying to shake and stir their, all these emotions up and trying to get them to fail, Satan is going to be completely active doing the exact same thing to us. I mean, once, you, once we decide, I don't know, to give up that unforgiveness, to give up that greed, to give up those things that we feel like are hindering to God, do we really just feel like Satan is just going to be like, oh, Hercules, Hercules, you're trying to reach the Father, oh, no. And if the church worldwide is trying to do this, do you think Satan is just going to stand back and just be like, oh, that's cool? No. If you hold to Jesus as being the Christ and the Son of God, you will probably have to endure just like the rest of the body. 
He will come and do different things and all kinds of different temptations for you as well. Let me give you an example, okay? Let's say that you're in this time period and God speaks to you and says, you know what? Hey, maybe I feel like I want to give up some of the jelly donuts. You know, the jelly donuts are kind of tagging me a little bit. I want to stay off of that. There might be 10 opportunities for you to eat jelly donuts. All these people come up, hey, want a jelly donut? Want a jelly donut? Want a jelly donut? You're like, where in the world does this come from? Or maybe it's smoking and then somehow everybody just has a pack right there. Or maybe it's even different. Maybe in this time before Easter, you might struggle with anger and unforgiveness and then 10 people do so-called unforgivable things to you that tempt you to fall back into that pattern. These are the kind of strongholds that Satan will just play all day long. And he will actually use this time of introspection, use this time that's supposed to be a time of getting closer to God to push us away from God. And again, I don't expect it to be some kind of exorcism of Emily Rose type stuff, even though it can't get there. But we are talking about the mental strongholds that he will do to keep us in bondage. Using this time to do it. I want to give you a personal story. Actually, this is my personal confession, okay? Um... I started out this week, and I really wanted to do this, fa- this fasting thing. I'm like, Lord, I want to do something new for Lent, so I'm going to participate in this. I chose certain things that I'm going to fast from. So, you know, the first day, you know, you're all zealous, and I'm praying to God. I'm like, God, I'm expecting a breakthrough. I want to do this. And so that first day, I mean, the temptations are coming. And I'm like, Heisman, like, ah, 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 you know, just blocking them all, you know. And so I guess I got a little bit um, self-confident, you know maybe a little bit lackadaisical. And so I would like to stand up here and say that the next day, praise Jesus, I just maintained. But uh, I fail. (laughs) I let go of my fast the next day. And let me tell you something. What was very interesting was all of these different thoughts come up in my head. Like, I have these strongholds of, of self-judgment and strongholds of perfectionism. So all these thoughts came like, you're like, look, now, you couldn't even last one day. You're supposed to be a preacher. You're trying to give yourself to God, and you're so weak-willed, and all of these different thoughts. And as I look back on it, I believe that not every one of those thoughts were mine. I believe that some of those were just voices of the evil one trying to make a time of repentance a time of condemnation. And it happened for a while. It happened for a while. And I just had to, I just had to pray through it like, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And eventually, I got to a place in in doing this sermon, and it really gave me some stuff to really help with that, to help me understand some things. Because it's a very important thing that we should never, ever forget about what Jesus does for us when we fall. So I'm just saying this to say this. Just like I have received attacks and I have seen an increase in temptation, I guarantee that if you decide to dedicate yourself to Jesus in a new way during this time coming up to Easter, you will face temptations. You will face trials. You will face the tribulations. You will face the shaking. So we realize this is not going to be a simple walk in the park. So how do we deal with this? We know about the problem. How do we deal with this? Is there anything biblically that we can show that can give us advice for this? Ironically, I feel like we get some, some good advice from the master fall guy himself being Simon Peter. See, I believe that 
Peter, he went through all these different things and he fell and he denied Jesus and got restored. And then he had to get checked by Paul later and everything like that. But I believe out of all of his falling and out of all of his experiences that he learned some crucial things. And he was trying to communicate this to the people he wrote to. So in 1 Peter 5, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10, it reads, Humble yourselves, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you. Get this, casting all your cares and anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now think about it. This is the same anxiety-ridden dude that was so anxious about Jesus dying. He's like, oh, no, Jesus, you ain't going to die. This is the guy that was so anxious about his own life that whenever people said, hey, didn't you follow Jesus? He said, hey, I don't know that man. This is the person that was so filled with anxiety and depression and heartbrokenness that is saying, cast all of your anxieties, every one of them on God because he cares for you. I think he learned that experientially. He says, be sober-minded and be watchful, be attentive, be vigilant. Now, why are we supposed to do that? He goes on. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's not just chilling up on his laurels, just kicking it, sipping them Mai Tai. He is actively looking. He is actively looking in your life situations, your work situations, every situation you're in to look for one opportunity to come in there and devour you. Just one opening for that pride, one opening for that self-loathing, just one opening for that addiction. That's what he's looking for. So we have to be vigilant. We have to resist him, firm in our faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Sometimes Satan will try to say we're all alone in this, but we have brothers and sisters all over the world during this time that are also going to suffer under the hands of the evil one. There is one body of Christ and Satan wants to try to take out that one body. So all of us are going to have to go through some suffering. But after we've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, those are very strong words in in the Greek, and this really means something as far as after you have fallen. And that's the thing. God understands how we are. So he understands when we are weak, when we feel like we can't go anymore, and Satan is just basically doing like an Evander Holyfield on us. We know that all we have to do is go to God and he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. Now, we have to understand how that's possible. And I believe that it's similar to what Peter experienced back in Luke 22. See, Jesus tells him, hey, I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail, that you will turn around and be able to strengthen your brethren. Now, here's some information that hopefully we all know. Do you know that in Romans 8, The Word of God says that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, always making intercession for us. Did you know that? See, yeah, we got to believe in the enemy. We have to believe in Satan because he is the enemy of our souls. But as we have to believe in that, we also have to believe that he has been defeated. He's been defeated on the cross, and the risen Christ that defeated him on that cross is actively petitioning the Father. Like, he's looking at us every time we mess up, and he says, hey, Father, don't, hold, don't lay this to their charge. Father, give them strength by your spirit. Father, give them love. Give them grace. Now, that is the Lord himself doing that for us. Now, here is the deal. 
if Jesus, and that's what the passage even says, if Jesus is praying for us and he wants us to succeed and he wants to give us his spirit, how can we ultimately fail? How can we not be restored? How can we not be confirmed? How can we not be strengthened? Jesus is praying for us. He, and this is the thing. He doesn't just like stop. Like he's not like he has to take a break. Like, ooh, I'm tired of praying for the world. He is in a glorified body. He is in heaven with the Father. So he is always praying. He is always looking after us. He is the shepherd and we are the sheep. And so it's very important that when you get attacked, whenever you hear those words in your head saying, I messed up again. You know what you do? You just say, you know what? I'm not going to receive that. You know why? Because I know that Jesus is praying for me right now. And if he was standing right in front of me, he want me to get right back up and try again. There's a song called Jesus is on the main line. Tell him what you want. That's true. When you get in this situation, I don't care if you have fallen 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times. If you go to Jesus, he's like, hey, baby, go, you keep going. I'm already praying for you. I've already got you. Ask for my spirit. You will be able to succeed. Ask for my presence. You will be able to handle those temptations and handle those struggles. You will be able to overcome. I feel like we can take the encouragement that Peter could have taken by knowing that the Son of God is praying for us. So there's three things that I want us to remember from all of this to take away for this time. Whether you participate in Lent in any kind of way or not, just understand that these things are going to be happening. And these are things that we should take seriously. First thing. We should take the hostile situation and opposition seriously. There is a Satan, there are demons, and they are trying to work in our situations to pull us away from God. Please don't forget that. Yes, you might be weak. Yes, you might have your issues, but it's not just about you. And just remember, if you hear some things going through your mind, it might not just be you. It might actually be the enemy of your souls. So this leads us to number two. We will have times where we fall to challenges on our faith. I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I'm trying to be realistic. See, the idea is we are all sinners, hey? Which means that we all fall short in some kind of way. And that means that God understands that. So instead of falling into some false sense of pride or false sense of security, we can just keep ourselves humble. And keep ourselves relying on God and saying, hey, Lord, I'm going to mess up, but I know that you're praying for me. Keep praying for me. And this can lead to the third thing. Once you really realize that Jesus is praying for you all of the time, wanting you to succeed, wanting you to do God's will, then you can understand that God has the last word in our restoration and strengthening. See, it'd be one thing if human beings had the last word, then we kind of kind of worry about something. But when you've got the Son of God praying that your faith doesn't fail, baby, I don't think your faith is going to fail as long as you stay with Christ. Because he wants you to succeed. He wants you to live in his victory over the evil one. So in this time, we're going to be doing a lot of warfare. In this time, we have to have vigilance. We have to have diligence. We have to have a sense of stick to when we pray. There's a story about a young seeker 
And he's talking to this um, Eastern Orthodox monk in this um, monastery. And he asks the question, like, what do you guys do in that monastery all day? Like, what do y'all do? And so the older um, monk, he says, well, let me tell you what we do. We fall down. And then we get up. And then we fall down again. And then we get up. And then we fall down again. And then we get up. Now, the older monk was not trying to tell them that they have muscular problems or can't control their bodies. What he's saying is this, we came here to give ourselves to God and so what we, when we try to do that, we fall down, we make mistakes, we, we break our promises to God, we make our pro- break our promises to ourselves. But what we do is we get right back up in his glory. And we fall down again because we make other mistakes and we fall into unforgiveness and fall into greed and fall into making our, our God, making our bellies our God. We fall into those things, but we get right back up again. And that's what being a Christian in this monastery is like, is the falling and the getting up. See, there's also a song in 2000 that was written by Donnie McClurkin. Some of y'all might have heard it like, we fall down, but we get up. Y'all heard that? We fall down, but we get up. We fall down, but we get up. For a saint is just a sinner who fell down and got up. That is a poignant truth. You've got to understand, saints are, saints are not people that are just totally perfect. They never make any mistakes or anything like that. No, saints are people that admit their sin and they confess their sin before God and they get right back up again. If you are under the sound of my voice, again, I don't care how many times you fail. I don't care what you do when you fail. Get back up again. Jesus is praying for you. He loves you and he is willing to empower you. Get back up again. I'm going to tell you something. I fail the day after. Chances are I'm going to fail next week. I might fail next month, but I know that God is on my side. I know that God wants this body to succeed. And so I live in that and I trust that over any fears that I might have of the evil one. So that's my encouragement to us. Because let me tell you something. We might be beaten and, and bruised and all that stuff during this time of Great Lent. But you know what? Easter's coming. <laughs> Whenever we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Easter's coming. And that means not just today, but Easter in your own life. Because the Son of God will be glorified. But we have to go through the time of testing. We have to go through the time of trial and shaking. We have to be shaken but not stirred in our spirit. And so that is my encouragement to all of us. That in this time, whatever, to whatever extent that we decide to give ourselves over to the Lord during this time before Easter, that we understand that we will be shaken. But given God's, Jesus' prayer and given God's spirit, we do not have to be stirred. Let's live in that. Let's pray. Father. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this word. Thank you for this experience, Lord. We pray that you would fill us all with your spirit so that we could realize on a daily, on a minute-by-minute basis that Jesus is interceding for us. We don't have to fear the devil. He's already conquered the devil. And we don't even have to fear our own failures because Jesus is willing to give us that grace. Let us know by your spirit that you're there, Jesus. And give us the ability to overcome our shortcomings and overcome the temptations in your Christ-like manner. Let us endure so that as we suffer with you, Lord God, 
that we could reign with you when all this is over. We thank you and we cherish you and we love you. We bless your name. Amen. All right. That is, thank you. That is all I have. We can have the prayer people come up front. If there's any prayer needs that you have, these people will be willing to pray for you. Again, as we go through this season, remember, Jesus is praying for you in your situation. Peace and God bless.